Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, everybody good? Good, happy Sunday. It feels happy in here. feels happy. That's a good thing. Hey, uh, I want to do something this morning. Uh, We're not going to be in a series either this week or next week. We're going to pick a new series up starting in September. So we're just going to do a couple one-off messages. And I want to talk to you this morning about spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. And the passage this morning uh, comes out of Mark chapter 6. So if we could put that up, we'll just go ahead and read that. Read a little scripture, and then we're just going to unpack it a bit this morning. It goes like this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place, and let's rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. And Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped off the boat. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And he divided the fish for everyone to share. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. I love this. I love this passage. By the way, this is one of those passages um, that's in all four Gospels. And there are not many passages that are in all four Gospels, but this is in every single one. And what that tells us is, is that there is something about this story that contains the Gospel in such a unique and potent way that every single person who reflected upon the life of Jesus felt like it had to be included. And I think one of the reasons that it had to be included is because it just it drills down into this, this idea or this reality of spiritual hunger. And, and that's what I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about this morning. Um, there is more in this passage that I'm going to get to. I'm actually going to not preach to you very long this morning. Uh, I'm going to skip over most of the stuff. I'm going to skip over most of the even good stuff. And I just really want to focus in on, on the idea of Spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. Um, 
I guess the first thing I want to say to the church this morning is that one of the keys to staying alive is being hungry, you know? Like just even in our natural life, in order to stay alive, you have to stay hungry. You, you have to have some sort of a, a thing on the inside that says, you know what? Take something in, you know? And if you don't take something in, well, you can do that for a little while and get away with it. But eventually, eventually uh, not only are you going to be not happy, but eventually you're going to be dead, you know? And you can ask any mother, any mother who's just had a baby, uh, what her number one concern for that baby is, especially a brand new mommy. Her number one concern is, is the baby hungry and is the baby eating, you know? Uh, mommies will forego uh, their own sleep and they will forego their own comfort to make sure the baby is eating. Um, I remember when Heather and I had River and Seth in particular. There's something about your first couple kids. Man, it's a heck of a trip. But there's something about your first couple, tri- your first couple kids because... Um, you just don't know anything, <laughs> you know? You can read all the books. The books don't matter, okay? You know? Uh, you don't know anything. Uh, and one of the things that you do know, even though you don't know anything, is that that baby has to eat. And, and I remember Heather and I would, would get, over, get over their, like, little cribs. They'd be asleep or something. And we would have this, like, little whispered discussion of, should we, should we wake them up? Right? No. As I reflect on that, that's the dumbest thing in the world, right? No. No, you don't wake them up. You let that kid sleep. And if he's hungry, he will wake up, right? But as a new parent, you're so concerned. You're so concerned that they're like gaining body weight and hitting these markers that you consider waking up a kid, you know? You're like bleary. Like she hasn't slept in 18 days. And and she's still thinking we should wake the kid up. Why? Because we just sort of know that if you're not hungry, you're dead. That's all there is to it. So it's really important. You know, and one of the things that we don't talk about very much, as I've been thinking about this week, uh, we don't talk about how important our appetites are. We don't talk about that very much. Uh, the only time we do is when it's connected to the shame of having an appetite that's out of control. You know, in our culture, that's kind of all that there is. Of course, the other time that we'll think about our appetite is when we, when we miss a meal and end up not eating or having lunch and then we're all hangry and we're like biting people's heads off. Isn't it funny how like you don't ever think about your appetite and you miss one meal and you're like, you know, maybe it's just me. But in a similar manner, your spiritual life and my spiritual life, it depends on developing some sort of a spiritual appetite. Uh, without a spiritual appetite, we'll just, we'll just dry up. Now, um, here's the thing. Human beings are hungry creatures. And one of the things that's pretty common in church is really to try to either ignore the fact that we're hungry creatures or to try to shame people's hunger into uh, a manageable position. And when we do that, either one, we we do more damage than helping. And so I think the first thing that we have to acknowledge as we pick up this idea of spiritual appetite is we just have to acknowledge that human beings 
are hungry creatures, and that's okay. You know, Bruce Springsteen was right. Everybody's got a hungry heart. But it's true. You're a hungry creature, and, and that's okay. And our appetites are, like, varied, you know? Uh, our appetites are not just one thing, but they're oftentimes many things. Sometimes, though, we live so disconnected from our appetites, and um, sometimes we're not even aware that they're driving us in really profound ways. And more times than not, lack of spiritual hunger is really just mislabeled appetite. So some of us in the room might be thinking, you know what, I don't have much of a spiritual hunger anymore. And what we don't realize is, no, you actually do. And the reason you do is because human beings are hungry creatures, and we're hungry for not ju- more than just food, you know? You have an appetite for more than just food. And sometimes we become unaware of our spiritual hunger because it's just mislabeled somewhere else. Or the attention, the attention that that appetite is, is creating in us focuses us in a different direction. You know, some of us in this room, even this morning, we feel really spiritually dry. And then to make matters worse... Uh, we don't even feel much of a hunger for the things of God, you know? Some of us are like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I really don't have a spiritual appetite. I, I feel spiritually dry, and then to make matters worse, I mean, I'm here, but I don't even really have a, an appetite for God, whatever that means. And we might even be a little bit aware that this is an issue, but we don't know what to do about it. Well, here's the first thing we do. The first thing we do is We just have to acknowledge that you actually do have an appetite, but it's being directed towards something else. Everybody here has an appetite. And so the beginning of becoming someone who is quite literally hungry for God is to realize that all of our compulsions and all of our appetites and all of our desires, especially those that seem to be controlling or destructive, that there's actually evidence of the real thing. So what are some of the things that capture us? Well, here's some really common American ones. Uh, shopping compulsion. Some of us have a shopping compulsion. We have, a, we have an appetite and we just want to consume, you know? And it shows up with just credit card swipes. Some of us in this room have substance abuse problems. Um, here's one that we probably all have. Some people in this room, are, um, our appetites get, get projected this way. By getting sucked into the internet and away from human intimacy. You know, And then there's also just, you know, run-of-the-mill garden variety, destructive sexual preoccupations. Here's what I want to say about all of those things. Shopping compulsions, uh, run-of-the-mill garden variety sexual compulsions, uh, looking to the internet instead of actual human beings for intimacy. Uh, fill in the blank. You know, what is... What is What is the thing that can be said underneath all of these things? Well, here's it is. Every one of them is actually a hunger for God. You know? Uh, Everyone who has a substance abuse problem is ultimately looking for God to fill them. You know? Every single person in here who has some sort of a sexual addiction, you're actually looking for intimacy with God. And everyone who's sucked into the internet 24-7 is actually looking for connection with the divine. So I just came here this morning to say a very few things to the church, and they're actually very simple. Uh, the first thing I want to say to the church is, it's essential that we all develop a hunger for God. Duh. Right? Duh. So obvious. What does that mean? 
Well, it means, it means that as a group, but then as individuals as well, we have to make it our goal to become someone whose affections and appetites are directed towards God. And I hope you noticed in the passage that we read this morning that the crowds were searching Jesus out, and when they found him, they wouldn't leave him. And even when Jesus tried to get away, they would run, run ahead of him. So Jesus is in a boat, and they do an ultra marathon around the lake, and they cut him off, and they, they're already... They're already where he's going, you know? And so there's something about Jesus that brings out appetite in people, you know? And this is a really great image for us. Uh, one of the things that everybody in here ought to endeavor to become is the kind of person who would run around a lake to find Jesus, you know? To cut him off. I hope you noticed that the crowds were always searching Jesus out. Um, and here's what they were looking for. Uh, they were looking for all the things that you and I are looking for. Uh, they came to Jesus because they wanted to get healed, you know, physically. They wanted to have their physical bodies healed. Uh, they came to Jesus because they wanted to hear his teaching, you know. How many of you would love to just have Jesus speak the words of life over you, you know? Yeah, amazing. And sometimes that happens here. Sometimes. They were wounded and they were in need of consolation. And then Jesus shows up and everyone just sort of realized that he was the thing they were looking for, you know. So everyone who's sick, everyone who's wounded, uh, everyone who is exhausted, everyone who is religiously worn out, when Jesus showed up, they realized, oh my gosh, everything that I've been looking for my whole life was in this person. And so they began to look for him. That's what it means to be someone who is developing an appetite for God. It's to just realize that Jesus is the thing that we're actually looking for. And so I just want to preach to you just for a moment if that's all right. I want to tell the church this morning that Jesus is actually the thing you're looking for. You, you may think it's something else. You may think it's a job promotion. You may think it's a better career. You may think it's a perfect mate. You may think it's uh, a, more, uh, a, a more extravagant vacation. You may think it's a bigger house, but I want to tell you the thing you're really looking for is Jesus. You may think it's like uh, moving halfway across the country and that'll solve all your problems. It won't. It never does. It's just an appetite. It's an appetite that needs to be satisfied by Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one you're looking for. He's actually what you're hungry for. You have to search him out. Look for him. Slow down and see if you can smell what God is preparing. And here's the other thing I would like to say to the church. Do whatever you have to do to meet Jesus. Do whatever you have to do to meet Jesus, uh, to feast on his goodness. Do whatever you have to do to let Jesus be what satisfies you. Some of you are like, you know what? I don't even know if Jesus will touch the thing that is in my heart. I want to tell you, he absolutely will. In fact, he's the only person who can. You know, some of us are like, I'm not even sure that Jesus is what I'm looking for. Well, just practice until he is, you know, he's the bread of life. He's the new manna. He's available every day. He's more than enough. He's a sustainer of your life. He'll give you strength and he won't make you fat or sluggish. <laughs> Look for Jesus. Um, you know, the vineyard movement not just this church, but all the vineyard churches that are around the world. Uh, it started in like 1981 in um, Southern California, and the vineyard movement started 
because of spiritual hunger. The vineyard movement didn't start because of strategy. Uh, the vineyard movement didn't start because of good planning. Uh, John Wimber didn't say, you know what I want to do? I want to spread the gospel as far and as wide as I can, and I'm going to do that by creating a church planting movement, so I'm going to find some good leaders, and I'm going to sow into some leaders, and then after I get those leaders to take on my core values, I'm going to teach those leaders how to spread those values to other people, and then we're going to make like this hierarchical machine that's just going to spread a web, and we're going to find good places, we're going to go to urban centers, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this, and in about 40 years, then we'll have 3,000 churches around the world, and then we're just going to keep going, and then, you know, maybe by the year 2050, I'll be dead, and there'll be maybe six or 7,000 vineyard churches, and we're really going to be a denomination that has it together, you know? I just want to tell you, that is not how it happened. That is not how it happened. And here at the Vineyard, we believe in things like strategy and being smart and wisdom, Here's the thing that's smarter than that kind of wisdom and that kind of strategy. It is having an appetite for Jesus. Uh, the Vineyard movement was started because a small group of people in Southern California were spiritually exhausted and they began to cry out to God in a home group and a guy named Carl Tuttle who could barely play three chords helped them sing a song and they would cry out to God together until God came and met them and the presence of Jesus so profoundly touched these little home group meetings that it exploded in Southern California and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came in, gave their lives to Jesus, were profoundly touched. Thousands of people were healed. Thousands of people were set free from demonic oppression. Why? Spiritual hunger. That's why. That's the only strategy. So if you're wondering, what is it about the vineyard? What is the thing that sits underneath all the things? Well, the thing that sits underneath all the things is that the vineyard DNA is touched by spiritual hunger. And that's what started this church. This church in particular, it's a microcosm of that greater vineyard story. This church was not strategy. This church was not slick production. This church was not smoke and mirrors. This church wasn't wisdom. This church wasn't trying harder. This church was an accident and it happened because a few people on Lone Valley Road got into a home and began to cry out to God and say, you have to meet us. You know, you have to meet us. A few people became convinced of the fact that what they were actually hungry for wasn't more money, a bigger house, a nicer vacation, or a move across the country, or a better career, or someone to call them out and say, you're the person. It was none of those things. Instead, it was Jesus is the thing. Spiritual hunger. Church, we can't let go of that. Become a person who is hungry for Jesus. And here's one strategy for developing spiritual hunger, especially if you're not very hungry. I'll give you two, but I'll just give you one right now. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed that you could feel not hungry and if you went to your mom's house when you were not hungry and she was cooking dinner, to simply walk into the kitchen and smell dinner made you hungry. Yeah, there's something about that. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you're not hungry, if you sit down and begin to eat with other people, no, this is part of it, right? To eat with other people suddenly makes you ravenously hungry. Yeah. This is part of the key. So if you're not hungry, what do you do in real practical terms? Well, well, uh, you, you go ahead and you start eating. And what does it mean to eat in this sense? Well, here's some things that we all know, right? Uh, read your Bible every day. 
Read your Bible every day. Uh, I was talking to someone three weeks ago, and they told me, you know what? I just don't feel God anymore. Feels like a million miles away from me. I used to, yeah, I used to have like profound experiences with the Holy Spirit. Now I don't have any. So I said, hey, uh, how's your prayer life? And they said, well, I don't really pray anymore. I said, well, uh, how long has it been since you read the Bible? Months. Oh, how long has it been since you talked to another Christian about the Son of God? Just like in a relational way, like just talking about Jesus. Oh, yeah, I haven't done that lately either. Okay, I said, so you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, and you don't talk to other Christians. I don't know what to say. You know, there is something about spiritual hunger. How do we develop it? Well, begin to pray. Begin to pray for five minutes. It's really simple. Uh, begin to read the scripture a little bit. And then do that communal thing, just like going to your mom's house and eating dinner. Sit down at the table with other believers and begin to feast on the Son of God. Get around some people who are a little more hungry than you. And then join into that conversation. And that conversation is always a meal that's open to everyone. Go ahead and eat. It'll awaken your hunger. How many of you have ever noticed that, that when you stop eating, you get really, really hungry, but if you keep on not eating, you're no longer hungry, right? So not eating actually, actually will make you not hungry. And the only way to wake up hunger again is to start eating. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I want you to see from the passage this morning, in addition to just developing a spiritual appetite. The second thing I want you to see, and I want you to know this, is that Jesus actually wants to feed you. But start believing that Jesus wants to feed you. I hope you noticed this morning in the passage that the people want Jesus, and notice that Jesus sees their hunger and he responds with compassion. Uh, Jesus doesn't meet people out of duty, you know? Uh, Jesus doesn't tolerate hungry and desperate people. Uh, he meets them out of love and compassion. And so part of what this means is that your desires are not off-putting to the Son of God. Uh, Jesus wants to feed the church. He's kind of like your grandmother, you know? He, yeah, how many of you have a grandmother who just wants to feed everybody, you know? Oh, yeah, come on. Just, yeah, there's room. We'll drag a kid table out of the closet, you know? And then, oh, there's another chair. We'll, we'll put another chair there and... We'll, we'll get out the Tupperware that we haven't used in six years, and we'll put that down. And No, I wasn't planning on you coming, but I'm sure there's enough in the oven, right? Have you, ever, have you ever noticed this? That every single time that there's this impromptu meal, like maybe your neighbor shows up and ends up having dinner with you, have you ever noticed that there's always enough? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jesus wants to feed the church. You're not off-putting to him. And he's like that grandmother who just wants to make more room. And he will always bring out another chair. He will always bring out another plate. And whatever it is that is needed, it will be available. There will be enough. And we don't have to be worried about being someone who's taking up someone else's spot. Jesus wants to feed you. If you're a spiritually hungry person, you need to come before the throne of grace with confidence because there is mercy there for you. Uh, Jesus wants to feed the church. He wants to do so, and he's not just doing it out of a sense of duty. Instead, he's doing it out of compassion. It was love and compassion that sparked hunger in the crowd, Jesus' miracles and teaching, and then their hunger sparked compassion in Jesus, right? That's the circle of Christian formation. 
It's, it works like this. Seeing who God is makes us want God, but then wanting God allows us to see who he really is even more. That's the way it works. Okay, final thing here this morning. Final thing I want to say to the church is um, everybody in the room needs to get ready to serve. Not just be served, but to be the one who's serving. Did you notice in the text that Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them? Yeah. They're like, with what? Like we could work five months and we wouldn't have enough money. And Jesus says, well, just have everybody sit down, bring me what you have. And they say, well, we have five loaves and two fish. Jesus begins to break them. And who does he hand the loaves and the fish to? The disciples, right? He doesn't hand it to the hungry people first. He hands it to the disciples. And what is Jesus doing? He's saying, oh yeah, you guys, you didn't know how to do this. You didn't know what we were going to feed them. Here's what we're going to feed them. Now give it. And so Peter takes this and he walks it over to Rick. And Rick takes his little bite and he goes back to Jesus. And Jesus breaks off some more. And then Peter goes over and gives it. To Robert Combs, Robert takes every bit that he wants. Robert says, you got any fish? Peter's like, I don't know. And he goes back to Jesus. <laughs> got some fish, Robert? Want any more? And Robert's like, you know, I am hungry. And so, <laughs> It's an amazing moment. So here's the idea. Uh, the people who had been with Jesus the most, the people who had heard his teaching the most, the people who had seen the most miracles, the people who had been around the most uh, demonic exorcisms, the people who had seen Jesus walk on water, speak to storms, talk to Nicodemus at night, the people who had been around everything that Jesus had done, the people who had most feasted on his presence, well, they don't get to stay the people who just feast on his presence. Jesus says, you know what? The next step is for you to begin to serve. Not just to be served, but to serve. They become servers in Jesus' little pop-up restaurant. And this is really important. Because here's what I've noticed in my own life. I've noticed that sometimes I can become spiritually bored. Fatigued. And I want to say this. Spiritual boredom and spiritual fatigue is not the same as... <coughs> Lack of spiritual hunger. We think they are, but they're not. They're very different. But sometimes I become spiritually bored or fatigued and nothing is intriguing and we've lost our fascination with God and we don't feel very hungry and we become bummed. And we used to say, and we say things like this, well, it used to be better, you know? Well, it used to be better. 99% of the time when someone tells me it used to be better, one of the things I know that I know that I know is that they're a person who has been served, but they've never done that thing yet of serving. And that is the sure sign that Jesus is saying, you feed them. And they're like, what? And he says, well, what do we got? So for everybody here this morning who's like spiritually bored, fatigued, or is convinced that it used to be better, this is the sure sign that Jesus is asking you now to not just be someone who is fed, but to come into this next season of your life, this next part of the spiritual journey, and become the kind of person who passes out what Jesus is cooking. Well, what do we do now? 
What do we do now? Well, the next step is serving what Jesus is passing out. That's the spiritual journey. Here's the spiritual journey in miniature. Uh, Being hungry for all kinds of stuff. Then waking up to the fact that our hunger is actually for God. Then being fed and nourished by Jesus. And then serving others in the ways that we've been served. And some of us here, we feel spiritually vacant and empty and we don't know what to do. Not only that, but none of the old stuff works anymore. None of our old tricks work. And we're right on the edge of being disillusioned. Well, hang on, because here's the next step. Pass out what you've been given. Pass out what you've been given. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed in my own spiritual life is that while God is infinite, I am very finite, meaning that I can only hold so much. You know? I can only hold so much. And sometimes it's not so much that I am empty, but it's that I'm full of things that I have not yet passed on. And in order for me to receive the next thing from God, I've actually got to give away the things that he's been handing out. That's the way we keep our spiritual appetite alive. That's the way we keep satisfied in Jesus. It's it's by becoming the sort of person who's distributing what Jesus is doing and handing out what Jesus is serving. Pass on what you've been given. Look at the end of the story. Twelve baskets full. I love that. Isn't Jesus hysterical? There's a lot of comedy in the Gospels. You know, Jesus says to the disciples who are so concerned about the hunger of the crowds, you feed them. And they're like, well, we don't know with what, what. We don't have anything. And then he says, well, just start handing this stuff out. And then by the end of the story, every one of the disciples who didn't have anything has to carry a basket full of what they didn't have home, right? <laughs> it's, it's an amazing parable. Like, where, number, where did the baskets come from? You know, it's like... And then how, how did they get full? Like, what was Jesus? There's so many parables in this. But I do want to say this, that for the person who passes out what Jesus is serving, you know, uh, you don't have to believe the lie that if you give away what you've been given, that you'll be left empty. You'll actually go home full. You'll actually have so much that you... How many of you know you cannot eat a basket full of bread? Okay? And now let's just take this little metaphor down another level. How many of you know that in first century Palestine, there were no preservatives? Right? There are no... How long does bread stay good in first century Palestine? Uh, 38 seconds, right? (laughs) Like you either eat it when it comes out of the oven or it becomes a brick, right? Certainly by the next morning, it's no good anymore, right? So if a disciple who had nothing and is partnering with Jesus to hand out what they did not have ends up with a basket full, what is Jesus actually saying to the disciples yet again? He's saying two things. He's saying, number one, you don't have to worry about ending up empty if you will give away. That's the first thing he's saying. But he's also saying, you might want to give it away because that stuff isn't going to be good for very long. This is the second journey of a disciple. And the second journey of a disciple is to serve. What does that mean? Let me just put it in really practical terms here at the vineyard for a moment. You know, some of us have been here three or four years and we still haven't served. And I just want to tell you, if you've been here for a little while and you haven't served, it's time. You know, and this is not guilt. This is not guilt. I'm actually telling you this pastorally because it's for your good. You got to serve. What does that mean? Well, it's just time. 
uh, it's time to lead a home group. Some of you have been here and you've heard me preach literally 200 sermons. It's time to lead a home group. You know, you're like, Adam's preaching bores me to death and the worship used to touch my heart and it doesn't anymore. And the fellowship and the community used to touch my heart and it really doesn't anymore. And now I feel spiritually bored and I don't know about Jesus and da 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 And you're like, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go on YouTube and listen to a better preacher or move to another community and find something better. Oh, that's great. That won't work. Actually, what it's time to do is to lead a home group. What's it time to do? It's time to give away all the stuff that you've been given. To find some people who are bewildered and, uh, and hungry and beat up and who are a sheep without a shepherd and to come in and be the shepherd or at least work with the shepherd to hand out what he's giving to those people, you know? And some of you just need to do that. Lead a home group. Uh, serve in kids' church. We got all kinds of people over there in kids' church already. And you know what? Some more of you might need to go. Or how about this? Just make coffee on a Sunday morning. That'd be good. Make coffee or share your faith with your neighbors. You want to see God begin to move in your life? Talk about Jesus with your neighbors. With your neighbors. Uh, I have one neighbor that I've been talking uh, about Jesus with for a couple years, and it is one of the greatest sources of uh, blessing and encouragement in my life. Uh, we actually have a fence that's between us, and I, I ride my bike up and down my driveway some nights, and I'll see my neighbor out, and, I, and he'll call to me, and I'll call to him, and we'll, we'll meet at the fence, and we'll talk about all kinds of stuff, but the, the conversation always comes to Jesus. Now, at the beginning of our relationship, to talk about Jesus was really kind of weird and awkward, but now it is common, it is wonderful, and, and it's not just me giving away, but now I'm beginning to receive from my neighbor who's been profoundly touched by Jesus in the last three years, just through these conversations, Right? Some of us in the room need to actually talk to our actual neighbors about Jesus, which first means you, you might need to get to know them. <laughs> it's becoming increasingly common in America for us to not know our neighbors. That's not the Jesus way. Not the Jesus way. This is where we're being led. We're being led to breaking off the bread. This means passing from immaturity to maturity is almost always rooted in serving and seeing others. And no, it's not easy. How many of you know that kids... Kids are always the ones who get served, and it's the mature or the parents who do the serving, right? Yeah, that's a parable for life. That's a parable for life. And to serve others and to see others is not always easy. It's almost always stretching, but that's where the mojo is. And I hope you noticed that it was serving that placed the disciples back into the spot of being needy again. Jesus says, you feed them. They're like, with what? With what? Yeah, Jesus is such a good Jesus. He puts the disciples back into the spot of being needy again, which is, which is the spot that they were always in anyway. He just highlights the truth about our lives, that if we don't get it from him, it's not there to get. So what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? All right, here's what I think we should do church, I think we should come to Jesus. I think we should wake up to the fact that he's the thing we're actually looking for. And if you have been around here or around Jesus for a while, oh, it's time to look for ways to serve. Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to serve in here, but then especially look for ways to serve out there. Being open, being generous, being brave. I mean, think about how brave Peter and John and Andrew were if you've only got a few loaves and two fish, right? 
See, we, we think this story is like real benign and simple. We, we, we miss the bravery that's associated with it. If you've only got this much food, and Jesus says, well, give it to me, and then he breaks it and he hands it, away to, hands it to you and he tells you to give it to someone else, you're like, but we don't have much, Jesus. Right? And Jesus is like, yeah, I know, it's fine. Like, you just give it away. And you're like, yeah, but we should probably, Jesus, could you make this portion sm- sizes smaller? You know? I'm really worried. And then, so you, you're all freaked out, you know? Yeah. It requires us to be brave. Even, even serving under the administration of Jesus will require the disciples to be brave and courageous. And that's okay. So the next moves are actually moves of service. So what do we do? Jesus is the thing we're looking for. We just come to Jesus. But we're also waking up to the fact that he's going to ask us to hand some things out and to do a little distribution. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.